You're listening to RTI Audio, powered by Rocky Top Insider. This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler and Ryan Shumpert. Insider Press Pass podcast. Today is Wednesday, January the 18th. I can't believe we're already more than halfway through the month of January. It is wild to be there. It felt like New Year's was just yesterday, honestly. My name is Rick Butler. Joined to me across the Zoom table is the one, the only Ryan Shumpert, who has been a little bit under the weather the last couple of days himself, but he's joining us today on the Zoom uh, to talk a little Tennessee athletics. Ryan, how you doing, my friend? I feel like that's uh, a loaded pretty- question. Yeah, no, doing pretty well. Um, I've had COVID the last couple of days, so it's my my fifth and, and final day. Assuming I don't get a fever at any point today of isolation, so uh, ready to be ready to be out of that. But feeling better. A uh, little bit of an itch in my my nose today, but besides that, uh, nothing. No, no symptoms too bad, and, and starting to feel better and ready to get things all back to normal. Okay, good. All right. Well, I'm glad to hear you're doing well. Obviously, you know. It, there's so many different ways this thing could go. And, and it, you know, it seems like you've been relatively up on your feet this whole time. So, uh, you know, glad to hear that. Uh, glad to hear that. Hopefully it is, it is just coming and going right through uh, and it'll be nice and easy, but man, we got a little bit of football to talk about a little bit of basketball to talk about today. This is not going to be the, the longest RTI press pass podcast we've ever had. Like we've already discussed Ryan is at home. I am at home myself. So we're just going to kind of hit a couple of the big topics going around the world of Tennessee sports right now. A little bit of football, a little bit of basketball, just like I said a second ago. Ryan, we have football recruiting to talk about, and we have the last week that was Tennessee basketball. Do you have a preference and where you would like to start this thing out? No, no. I mean, I think the basketball is probably a little bit more interesting, but I'm uh, I'm cool to, to go either direction first. Well, I kind of um... – I was kind of thinking we'd go basketball. I kind of had the same line of thought with you. It just feels like there's been a little bit, uh, a little bit more with the roller coaster that Tennessee basketball has been riding in the last week. And then, of course, we will come back to the football side of things at the end of the podcast and talk about a little recruiting news. On three had a bunch of movement in their final set of uh, recruiting rankings this week. So we'll talk about all of it, including a Tennessee recruit, a Tennessee prospect, a Tennessee early enrollee being named the number one recruit in the class of 2023. So that is all coming up later on in the podcast. But Ryan, let's go ahead and go to the basketball court. Tennessee right now, uh, man, what a week it was going back to last Saturday. You had the big reception with Chris Lofton's jersey retirement. It was a packed house. You had a sold-out crowd. You had all the legends back, former Tennessee players, former Lady Vols. I mean, there were stars in the house. But unfortunately, Tennessee didn't get the win at home. Kentucky came in. They beat the Volunteers in really a surprising fashion. And then that has certainly, you know, we'll talk about how that kind of carried into the Mississippi State game that was on Tuesday. But let's go back to Saturday. Just kind of what were your takeaways coming out of that game? What were your takeaways on what this does to the Tennessee uh, basketball season as a whole? Well, I don't know how much it really does to it as a whole because it's a long season and it's a tournament sport. As Tennessee fans 
often say, you know, when, when the team wins, well, they're going to have to see it in March to believe it, you know, with Rick Barnes as the coach. And, I, you know, that's the, the upside of a lot of the loss is that it was a loss that happened in mid-January. It's not going to affect anything that happens in the NCAA tournament. It's not going to affect uh, the final half of this team. But uh, certainly I think it, it was, one, uh, a really disappointing loss against a rival who was struggling. Two, when you add the Chris Lofton element of it, I mean, that – uh, certainly put a sour element on on the other what seemed like an otherwise you know great day for for Tennessee to honor Chris Lofton and what they did a great job of uh, adding his number uh, to the Raptors and honoring his legendary career. Uh, but really, I think when you look at it, what it does negatively for the long term of season, it's going to hurt a lot in the SEC championship race. Alabama uh, continues, I think, looks like the leader in that race, and they look like the best team in the SEC right now. But even with that, I thought that going into the uh, Kentucky game, they were probably a little bit better than Tennessee. But you look at the schedule, Tennessee's got a little bit easier schedule. Tennessee gets Alabama. They play just one time that game's in Knoxville. Uh, so even going into that game, even though I thought Alabama was a little bit better, I probably would have given Tennessee um, the advantage or maybe would have called them the most likely team to win the SEC in regular season. After dropping that game against Kentucky at home, uh, not when they expected, I think that kind of flips that and it goes to Alabama. But – I think when you look at the big picture, those are kind of the things that stands out. It's not going to be a back-breaking loss. It's not going to – or it shouldn't define the season if Tennessee doesn't let it define the season. And, and they still have a lot to go out and accomplish, but it is going to be – or was a pretty big blow in the Vols SEC Championship hopes. Yeah, you know, I, I thought it was really fascinating the way that Kentucky kind of came in and, and approached this game against Tennessee because you hit the nail on the head. I mean, this was a struggling Kentucky team that came into Knoxville. I believe the Tuesday game before that Saturday one was their South Carolina loss at home to break the 28-game home win streak. And Kentucky ended up snapping Tennessee's 25-game home win streak, uh, you know, just a couple days later. But you're right, they were struggling. It was really fascinating listening to the post-game press conference afterwards just hearing how John Calipari and the, and the Kentucky Wildcats, they they basically attacked Tennessee. And what they said was, hey, we were going to let them get their shots inside, especially with maybe Euros Plosage. It was when the, the offense goes back outside. It's when Tennessee wants to get those three-point shooters comfortable behind the arc is when they were really going to start to uh, press and make their life uncomfortable right there. I, I found that to be a really interesting strategy, but – Really, frankly, one that was smart and obviously was effective against Tennessee and what they wanted to do. Yeah, Euros Plosic got his, I think, a career-high 19 points, which was you know uber-impressive on 9 of 11 shooting. But considering that was really Tennessee's only consistent offense the whole time, I think you've got to give a lot of credit to what Kentucky did on defense. But you know, does that, does that worry you, I, I guess, moving forward into the rest of the season? Maybe that there is a little bit of a blueprint for Tennessee to struggle offensively. And we know that Tennessee can struggle offensively on their own. I, I think the first half of the Mississippi State game on Tuesday night proved that. But do you kind of look at that at all and, and think about that in any kind of certain way for the rest of the season coming up? I don't know. And that's something that I, I've thought about uh, really Saturday after the game a good bit because you're right, Kentucky showed a, a good way, a good game plan of defending Tennessee, but it's what Michigan showed in the round of 32. It's run Tennessee off the three-point line. It's make them score uh, from two-point range. I think there were uh, – there was, to me, it felt like so much deja vu in those two games. And some of it I'm trying to separate because it starts with myself. I was thick as a dog uh, for the with a stomach bug for the Michigan game wasn't there. Saturday morning is really when my symptoms were at its worst with COVID. Um, 
So I'm sick watching the game at home. Tennessee is getting run off the three-point line. They can't make shots. Uh, they certainly played better, I think, in that Michigan game, mainly because Kennedy Chandler played so well than they did against Kentucky. Uh, but then it's, it just felt like they were pressing. It felt like they were nervous. It felt like the game was maybe too big for them. I don't know if, if it was the fact that the first real big home game of the year to Chris Lofton stuff. So I, I don't really know how to get a great read on that. I do look at it and I say, if you're going to defend – if a team is going to defend Tennessee the way that Kentucky defended them, Tennessee needs – it's a Kai Ziegler to have a big game because he's the one guy on the roster. Vest can be a little bit too, just because of the way teams guard him. But he's the one guy on the off on the on the roster that can beat his man one on one, possession after possession, and get to the basket and finish. And I think you outside of the big men scoring, yours Plasic, Olivier Kamwa, who didn't have a, a very good game. That's how Tennessee's going to have to score. That's their that's their two point offense is mainly the Kai Ziegler driving the basket. They have a little bit of mid range stuff with Josiah Jordan James and Julian Phillips. And Tyreek Key even a little bit too, but it's mainly Ziegler. And Ziegler did some good things in that game, but goodness knows he struggled to shoot the ball. He missed what was two or three just point blank easy layups. And had a couple other shots at the rim that he makes pretty consistently and didn't. So uh, this is a long winded answer to say I think in some ways yes, Kentucky showed uh, a way to defend Tennessee and one of the better ways to attack Tennessee. But it was the same way Michigan did. And even with that, I think if you get Sakai Ziegler playing or not even playing, just finishing in the basket the way he normally finishes at the basket, that that strategy isn't going to be nearly as effective for other teams. Yeah, and that's the thing for me as well. I I, I agree with you. I, I do think that, you know, hey, for anybody else that's going to play Tennessee for the rest of the year, that is uh, probably going to be a pretty good way to attack just because we know that Tennessee is so hot and cold, especially from the three-point line, especially from that shooting arc. I mean, against Kentucky, they went three of 21 from the field, excuse me, from the three-point line, which was not great, but think about 14.1%, which kind of carried over into the first half of that Mississippi State game where they were awful from, from three-point land as well. So I, I do think that there's certainly some hot and coldness to Tennessee's three-point shooting, and I think that that is a way for for other teams to kind of combat Tennessee's offense. Now, as we as we said a second ago, this is certainly a, a – you know, an up and down unit for Tennessee and on the offensive end going into the game into Starkville last night, which was Tuesday night, man, Tennessee had some challenges to, uh, to face in that game. Not only yeah. were they missing Tyreek uh, key because of an illness uh, right before the game, he was a game time decision and could not go, but they were also missing Santiago Vescovi due to a shoulder problem that kind of flared up against Kentucky. So not only was Tennessee struggling from the three point line, but they didn't have two of their better three point shooters on the court as well for that entire game. I think you saw those struggles kind of start out the game yesterday in that Mississippi State, and then we'll get into the comeback that happened in the second half. But how how kind of nervous were you just for Tennessee's offense watching in the, in the first half of the Mississippi State game yesterday? One final thought on Kentucky real quick. Okay. It's from the Kentucky side of things. Uh, I think a lot of what Kentucky – was Kentucky playing well too or, or finding something different, and that's the fact that Severe Willard did not play their starting point guard, did not play in the game against Tennessee. I think Kentucky is light years better when Severe Willard's not on the court. Yeah. I'm yeah. watching them a good bit last night against Georgia too. And when he, he did play last night, but he, he didn't play. I mean, maybe his full workload, he didn't start. They get Antonio Reeves. They get C.J. Fredrickson on the court together, and they have Casey Wallace on the point guard. It's just a significantly better offensive team. And uh, Severe Willard just – he can't shoot. He turns the ball over a lot. He's a good passer. He does some good things running the point guard. But uh, their offense just gets really clogged with him uh, running it. And, I, again, and Tennessee's defense wasn't even really its problem. 
But there was a lot to win into that. What was really, honestly, a very bad loss for Tennessee against Kentucky. I do think uh, the Wildcats figured out some things, some of their own issues in, in that game too. Uh, moving on to your point, yeah, I mean, Tennessee had ten points, fourteen minutes, seven <laughs> seconds into the game. So yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think Tennessee was winning watching the first half, and I. Uh, uh, obviously, Santiago Vescovi is probably the most important offensive piece on this team. Tyreek Key isn't that. But when you compound that with Vescovi, it's a massive loss. And you mentioned the shooting. That's obviously a really important point. But it's, to me, is the ball handling that was just as important. Tennessee's really got three ball handlers on this team, and that's two of them. So Zakai Ziegler was shouldering a crazy, crazy workload uh, last night, played all 40 minutes, and he was just terrible in the first 10 minutes. He pressed. Uh, he had five turnovers. He missed six three-pointers. He was awful. He was the worst player on the court. And, but somehow, as Zakai Ziegler seemingly could just do, he, he flipped it like a script and was the best player on the court in the next 30 minutes. So he was phenomenal. But you're right. I mean, you you said, asked me if I was worried about Tennessee at the first half. I was more than worried about Tennessee. I mean, they were, they were plunging offensively. And uh, I thought that was going to be a game that they lost. But really, the last five minutes of the first half, they started to figure some things out. And uh, lo and behold, you looked up at halftime and the game was tied at 23. And it was just like, how? How is this game tied? And, and certainly the balls really flipped the gear and, and found a whole other level in the second half. Yeah, I, I, it really was. I, I think you you sat there watching that game yesterday and you just said to yourself, how on earth is Tennessee tied at halftime? And, and we know that, hey, Tennessee is a talented team even without those two players, that if they kind of could get back to that point, uh, you know, around being a tied game then they did have an absolutely have a chance for the second half and that's kind of what they came out and proved uh there on the court in Starkville but I I think what you said hit the nail on the head man with, with just Sakai Ziegler and his play yesterday 22 points which or excuse me 24 points which was a career high for him uh on 7 of 14 shooting right there you could tell that it took him a, a second to get in but 40 minutes and then after the game he said hey you know what I could go out and play another game right now it just kind of showing the uh the high level of conditioning that he has Julian Phillips, another guy that I was impressed with yesterday, especially in the second half. He again, or excuse me, in addition to Zakai Ziegler, he also shot 50% from the field in 37 minutes of play, 18 points, and also took in 11 rebounds, five of those being offensive rebounds. Nobody else on Tennessee's team had more than one. And I think going back to the Kentucky game, you really saw how Kentucky out-rebounded Tennessee brutally and just absolutely had their way with Tennessee on the boards. And this is a very good rebounding team for Tennessee and, and one that is a high-level team when it comes to rebounding statistics across the board. So uh, I think that getting back into that kind of rhythm yesterday, Tennessee out-rebounded Mississippi State by, you know, 39-31 to 31 yesterday. And again, Julian Phillips hauling in some of those offensive rebounds I thought was really crucial for Tennessee. And just kind of getting back to the fundamentals and to the style of play that they want to get. They, they want to play defense. They want to run with the ball. They want to bring in rebounds, whether it's on the offensive or defensive end of the court. And I thought they got back to that a lot better there in the second half against uh, Mississippi State and Starkville. You're right. Uh, but at, at the same time, you know, you would have told me even at halftime when Tennessee was before the game or at halftime, it was 23-23. If Tennessee wins this game, it's going to be with defense. Really, it's defense didn't play very good in the second half. I didn't think, yeah. honestly, I didn't think it's defense played very good the whole game. Even the first half, Mississippi State scored 23 points. I thought Tennessee. Uh, for a lot of the game was a step slow defensively. And, and I didn't think their defense rebounding again for the second straight game. I didn't think was very good. It certainly wasn't nearly as bad as it was uh, Saturday um, against Kentucky, but still gave up 14 offensive rebounds last night. It lost that battle 14 to 11, but you're right. Second half, 
Ziegler, to me, was the story of the game for him just to, to flip the switch. He didn't have another turnover after the first five that he had in 10 minutes. He made all four three-pointers in the second half, including some. Again, the, the game, weirdly for a lot of ways in the second half, was back and forth we go, up and down, basket after basket. And it felt like a lot of times when either the first half of the second half, when it was still really tight, or Mississippi State was starting to build a lead, uh, Ziegler had the big basket, or maybe in the second half of the first or the second half of the second half, when Tennessee had taken control of the game, whenever Mississippi State just felt like they were getting a little bit of momentum, it seemed like Ziegler had a basket to silence the crowd. But at the same time, Phillips, he was the second story. And you're, to me, it was the hustle plays. You, you mentioned what he did on the offensive glass. It just seemed like he got a lot of easy stuff for making hustle plays. And really, the one part of the second half, right in the middle, where Tennessee's offense uh, stalled, maybe. In, isn't the right word, but would just slow down a little bit. He was really good. He scored eight straight points and at one point gave Tennessee a lead on a, on a nice little stretch. So he was really, really good. But anytime, any half, you make eight or nine three-point attempts, which Tennessee did in the second half, the offense is going to look good and you're going to put up big numbers. And uh, that's exactly what happened. So where are you just kind of with this Tennessee basketball team heading forward? Obviously, a, a uh, like we've just said, a roller coaster of a week against with the loss against Kentucky, the first one, the first loss at home in 25 games for Tennessee. Then you come back and you do bounce back against Mississippi State, but not after uh, what was a a really kind of chaotic and a disastrous in some ways first half against the Bulldogs. So well, what's kind of your outlook right now and where this Tennessee basketball team is? And, and, and we'll kind of include somewhat to an extent. You can play with it how you want, but obviously you, you talk about the Vescovy injury and then Tyreek Key. We expect him to hopefully come back to the court soon for Tennessee as well. Where, where did you just kind of stand on the team right now as uh, they approach the end of January here? I don't feel a ton different than I did, you know, a week ago. That uh, Certainly the Kentucky game was a bad loss. Nothing about last night really worried me. Certainly Tennessee should have played better than they did, even with their absences in the first half. But winning on the road, I thought even before the best of you was in key were out. Last night had the potential to be a really challenging game, and this week – uh, obviously, with road trip to LSU, had the potential to be a really challenging week. So uh, I feel pretty similar uh, as I did about this team before, or at least the last time we talked before the Kentucky game. Um, I think the rebounding would be the one thing that maybe worries me a little bit because we've seen that happen in two straight games, and particularly the defensive end. The offensive end, they've been an elite rebounding team all year. Defensive end, they've really just been average. I mean, they haven't been bad, but they've been right around uh, the national average in defense rebounding percentage. So I think it's the Tennessee team that needs to – clean things up there uh, and then just continue to try to improve offensively. And to me, a lot of that is just getting the guys on the interior going and trying to find a rhythm uh, for guys like Eros Plosic and Olivia Kamwa, who, who really is uh, offensively had uh, two straight kind of quiet games after a big stretch. But uh, I think you're right. Bescovy is a, a big question you point to and look at now. He missed two games early or back in December uh, against not very good opponents with a left shoulder strain. It seems like this is a flare up of, the injury and it was pretty noticeable at least watching it on tv on saturday that he was banged up in kentucky after he fell to the ground hard in the first half um and obviously he went back in so it doesn't seem like that's going to be a super super long-term injury but again it's a it's a injury a injury that's to what probably tennessee's most important offensive player if not i guess i probably wouldn't say he's their most important player overall, overall but one of their most important player over most important players overall and certainly, I think they're best offensive player. LSU 
who is 12 and 5 on the year, unranked right now. They will host Tennessee this upcoming Saturday. Tennessee right now 15 and 3 on the year, 5 and 1 in conference play like we talked about only that loss to Kentucky under the belt among SEC competition. Uh, but that game is going to be at 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern time again this Saturday afternoon. Number nine, Tennessee, traveling to Baton Rouge to take on LSU. Ryan, the, the basketball team is going to hope to have a little bit of the success that the football team had back just a couple months ago over in Death Valley. Yeah, they certainly will. And against an LSU team that's, that's honestly been struggling a little bit. They, uh, I watched a lot of them. Uh, that uh, Funny enough, when I was in Mississippi, that first night of conference play after the old Miss game, when they – they had a really impressive home win over Arkansas, but these days just about everybody gets a home win over Arkansas. Vanderbilt whipped up on them, scored 60 in the second half on Saturday, and LSU's really been struggling since. So, obviously, uh, uh, McMahon, first-year coach from Murray State, he brought a lot of those guys with him uh, from Murray to LSU. So, it's a talented team, but it's not a team that I don't think is quite up to the standard of the Will Wade teams over the last couple of years. And uh, even – Earlier, kind of entering SEC play, I said, hey, this is probably a team that's going to be on the bubble, I would guess, on the right side in the NCAA tournament. Looking at it a few weeks later, still a lot of time to tell, but I say uh, it's probably an NIT team. So if Tennessee can get more healthy, I think this is a game they should win. But as I talk about probably uh, (laughs) enough to really annoy our our listeners, that winning on the road in the SEC, unless you're just playing a really terrible team like South Carolina, probably not going to be easy. you got to go on the – got to go earn it. It's going to be a challenge. I certainly think that's what Tennessee's – is going to have in store on Saturday in Baton Rouge. Yeah, Tennessee right now 4 and 1 in their last 5 games. On the flip side though, LSU 1 and 4 in their last 5 games with four straight losses, three of those games being on the road. So the Tigers are certainly excited to get back at home. Uh but nonetheless, four straight losses for LSU and Tennessee is going to look to to continue to pick up a little bit of steam here bouncing back from that loss to Kentucky just a couple days ago. As we talk about LSU though, as we talk about football, Hey, let's go ahead and flip the script and talk about a little Tennessee football right now. With it being early in the offseason, we knew that we know that the main story going around the football team right now is the offseason recruiting. Now, we can talk a lot about the 2025 class. There are a couple of guys who a couple of very high-level uh recruited guys that were in town over the weekend, over the Kentucky basketball weekend for Tennessee's junior day recruiting event. We'll get to that in a minute. But real quick, I want to talk about the big news from this week, and that was Three of Tennessee's signees from the 2023 class were bumped up in the on three sports final recruiting rankings of the year. Three Tennessee players now sit within the top 50, which I think is an impressive mark. uh, Just kind of seeing how this recruiting class has come together at the back end. You have Nathan Leacock, who comes in as the number 45 overall player in on three standings. And we'll kind of stop there, right? I, I think this is a very talented receiver for Tennessee who, who is really getting his due here at the end of the recruiting cycle. When Tennessee and Josh Heupel first reached out to this guy, he was a three-star recruit. He, he did not have nearly as much buzz around his name as he does now. But ultimately, this is a very, very talented wide receiver in the class. He is long, he is athletic, and he continues to give Tennessee a lot of young depth that Tennessee is going to be working through over the next couple of years. I think this is a very talented prospect, certainly one that Tennessee had their eyes on. But again, I think ultimately this guy right here with Nathan Leacock jumping up to the number 45 overall prospect in the country for that 2023 class. When he signed, excuse me, when he committed to Tennessee back in July of 2022, this guy was near nearing a top 100 receiver 
in the class. You got to think about that. Just the position of receiver around the high 80s. Now he's within the top 50 overall players in the class. I think if anything, man, this points to just the evaluation process that Josh Heupel and his staff are doing overall, but especially with Leacock in general. This is a guy who they saw the raw talent. They saw the potential. They wanted to make sure they got their guy originally. And then now here at the end of the class, this is a guy who, who is now vaulting up in people's uh, recruiting rankings, really the biggest name to talk about, uh, the biggest jump to talk about here with these recruiting rankings. But Nathan Leacock jumps up to number 45 from Tennessee's class. It's insane. I mean, it's wild. It, it felt like we, and I, I don't even know this for sure, I felt like we wrote like three stories from the time he committed of Nathan Leacock receives massive bump in recruiting rankings. And it feels like there were probably other two other times we could have written about and we didn't. And every single site that seemed like the updated recruiting rankings in the past five months leacock just had a huge huge drop every single time and he ends up uh, in the top 50 of on three zone rankings to me maybe the most the craziest and ricky i don't know if we, i don't think we talked about it maybe you caught on he he ended up being ranked higher than cardinal tate and on on three yes and i mean that was <laughs> the you know receiver in tennessee's class that we talked we spent so much time talking about and i'm going to ohio state and most rankings, Tate is still higher than Leacock, but in, in, on three zone rankings, Leacock's higher. So just a, f- a fantastic evaluation. And you've seen it with a receiver the last two years for Tennessee because you go back the last year, it was Squirrel White who did, wasn't, didn't blow up anything like this, but was certainly a basically unheard of recruit when he committed to Tennessee. And then Auburn and Georgia were both pushing really hard by the time signing day came around and Tennessee had to hold on to him. And obviously we saw on the field this fall what a, what a massive gym Tennessee found there. And it seems – Seems to be the same thing with Leacock. Obviously, we'll see uh, once he gets on campus, once he gets on in the field. That's what really matters. But uh, just a, a fantastic evaluation uh, by Kelsey Pope, by Josh Heupel, by Tennessee's whole offensive staff uh, to get in and get him. And it's, it's pretty crazy for him to, what, on, on three's rankings end up being, I think, Tennessee's third highest commit, third highest yeah. signee. Yeah, that, that is exactly right. And again, this is a guy who who enrolled at Tennessee on December 16th. So he was present for a lot of the Orange Bowl preparation, for a lot of the Orange Bowl festivities in Miami. He already is kind of getting acclimated with the team, as we'll talk about one other guy out of these three here in a minute. But yeah, I think to everything you said, absolutely spot on. Uh, just real quick, his senior season over at uh, Millbrook High School in the North Carolina, in the Raleigh, North Carolina area, he Nathan Leacock ended the year with 1,700 yards, 23 touchdowns on 82 receptions. No other player on the team finished with more than 45 catches or 670 yards in total. Again, he finished with 1,700 yards and 23 touchdowns on 82 receptions. I I, I can't, you know, I I don't know. I'm not a recruiting expert, so I don't know about the talent level that Lee Cock was going up against in Raleigh, North Carolina area, but I, I think that those are absolutely jaw-dropping numbers regardless uh, of who he was going up against. So really uh, a solid job by Tennessee and the evaluation staff there. The next player on the list, though, number 29 in the recruiting rankings, that was David Hobbs, who who is a very talented defensive lineman, a guy that Tennessee has wanted to get for a long, long time, and, and ultimately a guy that is going to prove dividends for Rodney Garner's staff. I, I think that this is just a, uh, a really solid prospect. I think Tennessee's highest uh, ranked defensive pro- uh, defensive prospect just a really talented player, and I think every bit deserving of his top 30 ranking. No huge surprise uh, here. With you know, This is kind of around where he's been for a while. He was another guy that had climbed up the rankings some. He'd always been a higher recruit, but not quite to this level. And 
certainly a really good gift for Tennessee. I, I said it at the time. I still stand by it. To me, it's probably the most impressive recruiting win since Josh Heupel has been here to go right up against Alabama and Georgia and land the five-star defensive lineman. So a uh, really, really good get. And I think the rankings reflect that. And then last but not least, I think maybe the big story of the day is that Tennessee's own Nico Iamaliava overtakes, dethrones Arch Manning as the number one recruit in the class. And kind of in a similar way to Nathan Leacock, a, a, a lot of rising over the last eight months or so. Now, certainly Nico Iamaliava did not jump, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 spots in the rankings. But when he did commit to Tennessee in late March, he was ranked as the number five player in the class. Then a couple months later over the summer, he jumped up to the number two player in the class. And now here in January, he ends as the number one player in the class. I, I think it really just speaks to the talent that that this kid is bringing into Tennessee. He is a very extremely talented quarterback who can sling the ball from from really any spot on the field. But his his height, his, his athleticism, his size really gives him a lot of advantages from that quarterback position. Obviously, we, we there's going to be a lot to talk about Nico Iamaliava as we go on, and certainly there's already been a, a lot of talk about the kid. But ultimately, for Tennessee to end this recruiting class with the number one player in on three sports rankings, I think that is a, a massive, massive win moving forward for Josh Heupel and his staff. They can point to a lot of things now that they weren't able to previously. They can point to the fact that, yes, they brought in the number one player in the class already to other kids. They can talk about, you know, how Jalen Hyatt is a Bolitnikoff winner, right? They can talk about the number one offense in the country that they're coming off of. There's a lot of recruiting pitches, I think, for the Tennessee staff. And, you know, you're ultimately, you're ultimately seeing a lot of them come together. But at the end of the day, Nico Iamaliava jumps up to the number one spot in the on three rankings. I was not expecting that yesterday, but again, a massive win, I think, on the recruiting trail. Obviously, it's now about how he pans out on the football field, but before that, and, and this whole saga leading up to it, this is certainly a, a, a very nice closure uh, to the end of the recruiting cycle for Tennessee. I'm sure it is. You know, I, I find a hard time to to get all worked up about it, to be honest. For one, what, what changed in the last the Arch Manning was on three's number one player for a year. What changed in the last month since the high school football season ended that made you change your mind? To me, that <laughs> part kind of seems a little ridiculous. Well, what I mean, he's at the Polynesian. Nico's at the Polynesian Bowl right now, but these rankings happen like the first day he's there. So I don't, I don't see what either Arch Manning or Nico Iamaliava did anywhere to have their rankings be changed in the last you know two months. But you're right; it's a cool thing that for Tennessee to have. It's a cool thing for Tennessee to say. Uh, to have number one player in the country, I guess the first time uh, since Trey Smith in the 2017 recruiting class was number one on ESPN's rankings. So obviously uh, this was a really, really good, really important get before uh, he was the number one player in the country. It still is. And certainly it all, all changes now. And we, we begin to look at what he does uh, when he gets on campus for good here in a week when Tennessee starts classes and uh, the Miko Iamali, uh, maybe not starting quarterback era, but his era at Tennessee begins and, uh, it's all going to be about how what he does in Knoxville, not about what he's done to this point. Yeah, and you know, speaking of quarterbacks, and, and we just talked about the Junior Day recruiting event that was taking place in Knoxville, at, obviously on Tennessee's campus last weekend. Another quarterback who, who is, uh, I don't know, who, who at least is on our website right now. His name Cutter, Cutter Bowley. He is a four-star quarterback from the Lexington area, Lexington, Kentucky. He's a four-star quarterback in the class of 2025, but he was one of those really young players who was in Knoxville over the weekend for that junior day recruiting event. He actually posted a three-minute video to Twitter, just kind of recapping the whole um, 
the whole, I guess, visit, the whole event, everything, the whole day on Saturday in general. And it's a really fascinating video that I would encourage you to go look at if you're a fan of tenancy recruiting or just kind of the way that this thing operates and the process that it goes through uh, when these recruits are on campus. It shows the players at the uh, at the Kentucky game. It shows, Cutter Bowley shows himself with not only Boo Carter, who, who is one of Tennessee's highest ranking targets that they're, that they're looking after in the 2024 class, he's from Chattanooga, but also another in-state player from Chattanooga at actually the same high school, and that is Martell's Carter Jr. So certainly I, I think there were a lot of big prospects on, on campus for Tennessee right now. The 2024 class is, uh, you know, obviously the 2023 is just kind of wrapping up here as we talked about these rankings a second ago. So there's still a lot of time before we even get to 2025 in general, but it seemed like a, a very solid and a very productive uh, junior day recruiting event for Tennessee over the weekend here in Knoxville. Yeah, it really did. And it was you kind of starting to see some stuff come to fruition because recruiting is such a long, long process that even when you get a full year into the cycle, even last year, you know, Tennessee staff is running a little bit behind on uh, scouting kids and getting things going. And uh, certainly the effects of winning on the field, you don't always feel immediately in recruiting because it's so much relationship based and it's about what you do on the field gets people's attention and then it's relationship-based and what Tennessee did on the field this year has certainly been able to elevate them to a higher class of player. And you saw that with the Alabama weekend when they had a ton of kids in town. And I think you see that again uh, with their first two uh, junior days in the month of January. And certainly they had a ton of really, really high level kids, a bunch of five stars, Ryan Wingo, uh, the defense alignment. I think Nawarsi is how you pronounce his name. Uh, from Missouri Williams, no yeah, one from that excuse me, Kansas five City defense alignment, yeah, yeah, from Kansas City. So, uh, tons and tons of, of big, com big uh, recruits on campus. Not a ton of com or not, not no commits from it, but you don't expect that. It's still early in the stage. This is about positioning himself in, in a good spot, and certainly they did that well uh, in their first uh, junior day in January. We'll see. They'll have a bunch uh, more guys back, not this weekend, but the coming weekend, and uh, we'll see who who not only they are able to get in town, but who they are able to get in town again, because that will, will really be a sign of uh, the top players that they are really, really in the, the top groups of in the early stages of the 2024 recruiting class. You know, there weren't a lot of necessarily, there weren't a ton of storylines in the Tennessee sports world this week, but the ones, the, but the ones that were present were certainly fruitful. I think when you talk about Tennessee, Kentucky, when you talk about Tennessee, Mississippi State, when you talk about this recruiting event, there's not a ton of things to talk about, but each one of those were significant. And, and that's kind of some of our early thoughts on those uh, those couple of topics right there. All right, so coming back next week, I think we're going to be back in-house. As long as we can keep the sickness away, it seems like Jack Foster is going to be back to uh, back to Knoxville here in the next couple of days as well. Hopefully next week we're going to be back in studio. We'll have a, a full show lined up for everybody. We'll be talking Tennessee basketball. We'll be talking the latest in Tennessee football and recruiting and just anything else kind of going around the Tennessee sports world. But again, that'll be next week. And hey, if we can't get back to studio, we'll still be doing a Zoom like this, still be getting you all the relevant information out there. But hey, Ryan, I think that's going to go ahead and wrap it up for us today. I know you've been under the weather the last couple of days, so we'll get you uh, we'll get you back to resting a little bit and, and then back up on your feet here in the next couple of days. But my friend, thanks for hanging out with us today. Yeah, for sure. Happy to be back on and, and talk a little bit of ball. It's going to wrap it up for us today on the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. As always, make sure you're checking out RockyTopInsider.com each and every day for all of your Tennessee news, notes, and content. Make sure you are following the Rocky Top Insider social media account on all five social media platforms. That would be Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. 
We are there on all of them at Rocky Top Insider. If you want to follow Ryan, you can do that at rshump00. That is Ryan Shumpert on Twitter. And if you want to follow myself, you can do that at Rick underscore Butler on Twitter as well. We are there, hopefully uh, keeping you up to date with all the Tennessee stuff going on. But again, as we say, just make sure you are listening. Make sure you are tuned in to RockyTopInsider.com each and every day for the best Tennessee content that we can put out there. That'll wrap us up for today, Wednesday, January the 18th. We will see you back next week for another great show here on the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass. For Ryan, I'm Rick. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back next week.